John Nitre, when I walked in this morning to get my stuff set, <laughs> he goes, I messed with your Bible. And it's only, only people that get that is one pastor or another. And so my response was, um, well, if you took something out of it, you have to deal with the Lord because he, he, he doesn't. Um, so time changed. Chris, that was, that was really cool to remind us of the, um, the evening and morning. The Hebrew, the Hebrew world always starts with darkness and moves into light, which I just think is, is a glorious thing. Um, and just so you get a little insight onto how my very strange <clears throat> brain works, um, on the day before daylight savings, because I get up even earlier on Sunday mornings if I'm preaching than I normally do, um, I sit at noon on Saturday, I set all the clocks ahead and do not look, do not trust my phone. So I pretend in advance that the time has already changed so that I can hack my brain and think that I can go to sleep by 11, which is 10. So I know no one else does that. My wife looks at me and kind of goes. So um, we are, oh, by the way, Pastor Chris will talk a little bit more about it, but uh, Bill Riggs' granddaughter and great-granddaughter funeral on Friday was intense and glorious. Um, just, want you to, just want you to be aware of that. And I want to thank specifically, we have no, new hospitality ambassadors that come at funerals so that the pastors can move around with the family. And there are people here to direct people to our um, sometimes oddly placed bathrooms. So if you are interested in something like that, um, we would we'd love your help. It's just a great thing to be, when everyone walks away, to be with the family, to have people there that still know where things are, how to get to things, and, um, and to just help people get to where they need to go. So I'm going to offer a prayer, and we're going to deal with a passage that there's been a debate over the years whether this is a parable or an actual testimony of Jesus. The cool thing is it doesn't matter because the point is the same, um, but it would be very interesting if it were an actual testimony of something that Jesus has seen before he arrived on earth as the incarnate God-man. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the hope that we have. Those of us this morning that are in chronic pain, we still know that you comfort us, that even when things feel hopeless, you offer hope. Lord, the world gives by lying to us, promising us everything, and leaving us in want. But you tell us in your scriptures that you are our shepherd, and we will not be in want. And Lord, there are times when you speak to us through your word, when it's comforting, and other times when it's convicting. So we pray, Lord, that if something today is convicting, that it also bring comfort, that it is because you love us that you tell us things we need to hear. And so we ask, Lord, that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive what you want to say to us today. And Lord, I ask you to stand in my shoes and to give me your thoughts and speak with my mouth so that we hear your message for us, not my message for them. We pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. So let me get, <clears throat> excuse me, early morning. Um, okay, this parable or actual testimony? Um, most of us view this as a parable. It likely is, but because Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, we would refer to Jesus pre-incarnate as the Son, Father, Son, and Spirit, co-eternal past. 
co-eternal future. Um, but when Jesus uh, arrived on earth in the incarnation, <clears throat> he took on flesh. And according to Philippians, he limited himself in a way that he has never been limited to before. So this, sto- this story or this parable is a it's either a testimony of Jesus, and, I, and, and if it is, what a glorious thing that the God of the universe would speak to us about something he's seen slash witnessed before he ever showed up. And if it's a parable, what a glorious thing that the Word made flesh would tell us things, some of which we don't want to hear, but would tell us the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so that God may help us so that we can be available to receive from God that which we need, not necessarily what we want. So the passage reads like this. This is known as the, well, my Bible says the rich man and Lazarus. And this is not Lazarus, Jesus' friend who died um, and that he raised from the dead. This is, Lazarus was a pretty common name, as was Jesus, by the way, very common name. Um, In fact, some people argue that when Jesus, when the crowd was choosing between Barabbas and Jesus, that that some some would say that that Pilate might have been saying, who do you want me to release, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus of Nazareth? We don't know that. It'd be interesting to find out. So Lazarus, very common name, and I think if, if this is a parable, Jesus picked it because just about everybody there would have known a Lazarus. It reads like this. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Now, purple, just a way of, sh- of showing. It. I, I, I just heard about these things the other day, but um, uh, there are brands that we wear that show, that let people know. I mean, we want, everyone wants good clothes that are going to last, but, you know, $100, $120 for yoga pants at Lululemon when you can get them for 20 bucks somewhere else. <clears throat> I don't wear much in the way of yoga pants personally. Um, it would be like taking a rib roast and tying a string around it. That's how, it, that's how I look. Um, someone got a picture, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. yeah, sorry about that, but purple was opulence. It says just how well off you are. And fine linen is like paying $300 for undergarments. Um, That's how wealthy this man is. And it says that he lived in luxury every day. At his gate, so he lives in a gated community, or at, at least a gate around his home. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So this is a guy that is so hopeless with open wounds on his body, that while he's laying there in starvation, he doesn't even kick a dog away who starts licking his sores. And if you, not only are you unclean if you have open sores, ritually, that means that you can't have any fellowship with other people, but dogs licking your open wounds makes you unclean, unclean. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, this is the rich man, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, 
Have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, and notice he calls him son because he is a child of Abraham. He is a Jewish person. Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you're in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And the rich man answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they'll repent. And Abraham responded, he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Now, what if this is a real testimony of something Jesus, as the son, witnessed? What if he's seen this time and time and time and time again? If he is indeed who he claims to be and we believe he is, the second person of the Trinity made flesh, then he's saying to his people, beware, be prepared, understand that the choices you make here have eternal consequences. And once that eternity kicks in for you, there is no going back. There is no repentance there's no change. And this man, this rich man, there's a lot of curious things in this that, that he, he, he doesn't notice. Well, he, knows, he notices Lazarus because he knows him by name. He sees this man that he's seen outside of his gate every day. He sees him at the, sitting at the bosom of Abraham. That's actually what the words mean, not sitting in, 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 on Abraham's bosom. So he's just being comforted. The way we think of, of Jesus with little children Right, the way it, when someone passes, uh, when someone dies, when someone passes on to glory, the, the picture we often have is that that Jesus has his arms around them, or he embraces them, much like Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son when the father is just holding the son. So that's a tender thing that this rich man sees while he's in torment. And some will argue that this story about hell, this, 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 this discussion, that it can't be real, it's got to be allegorical because fire consumes, and this man, it's continually burning up, but our God is a consuming fire. Hell in Hades is just tormenting fire. It doesn't, it doesn't take you away, it just makes you miserable. But this man, this rich man, who's not named, but he says to Father Abraham, send Lazarus to me. Notice that this man still has a view of Lazarus that he had when he was living. He saw him as, this is speculation, but as throwaway, as other, as 
nuisance, as less than him. And still, even though he's in hell, being tormented, when he calls to his father Abraham, not his actual, the, the man who sired him, but, but, but a, his, the Jewish patriarch, he cries out to Abraham and he says, send this man who's at your bosom to come serve me. How wrong that is. To, be, to not be able to see, even when you're in torment, to not be able to see that someone else has been rewarded and you are getting what you have coming to you and to be thinking not that, not that I would owe him something, but that he should come to me. And then the, the argument takes place or the back and forth takes place. Um, you can't come from here to there or there to here. And, and sorry, he had bad things in life and good things now, and you had good things in life and bad things now. Well, okay, then send him again. He's my servant. Send him to my father's house. And Abraham's response is this. He, after the, 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 the idea that, well, if someone comes back from the dead, they'll believe. And Abraham says they have the law, or they have Moses and the prophets. So I'm just going to list these off. This is, you could say in a sermon, this is throwaway. But I want you to see just how clearly the scripture talks about how we are to see treat and behave toward other people. We know, we, we, we know what it says in the New Testament, but do we know what it says in the Old? So I'm just going to list several, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to list chapters, I'm not going to list verses because we don't have the time for that. I have 11 minutes left. It would probably take that long. But just so that you know, Moses is the author of Deuteronomy. So Moses and the prophets this is how often, and this isn't an exhaustive list, this is how often it speaks of how God's people are supposed to treat the downtrodden, the homeless, the widow, the alien, those who have it tough. Deuteronomy 7, Deuteronomy 14, 15, 22, 23, 24, 25. Isaiah 3, 5, 10, 32, 58. Almost the whole chapter, or the, whole, the first half of 58. In Isaiah 10, Jeremiah 5, 7, Ezekiel 18, 33, Amos 6, 5, 8, Micah 2, 3, 6, Zechariah 7, Malachi 3. And that's not even close to an exhaustive list. That doesn't even speak to the Ten Commandments, to everything after number four. That first three are how we behave and how we relate to God the Father. Number four is how we relate in part to our to creation and that we need to realize that God is the one in charge of creation and creation will be just fine without us for a day and we'll be better if we're not toiling for a day work six days rest one God takes care of the rest but the next from number five and on have to do with how we relate to other people how we treat other people how we mistreat other people but that's why it's thou shall not But there's two little pieces in here. If you're interpreting this and, and saying it's, it's, called, it's what we call exegesis and hermeneutics, exegesis, what did it mean to them, them, and then the hermeneutic is the move to us. Okay, it should mean the same thing to us that it did then, but they have different cultural perspectives. Because if you saw someone walking around, a man walking around 
wearing a bathrobe of purple with, um, with, with fine linens underneath, you're not immediately thinking rich man. You're thinking just got out of the hospital, maybe. So there's a cultural context there, but if you see someone all buttoned up, I mean, I, I have friends, they are always put together. My brother Troy, we used to joke, and sorry, Troy, if you're watching, um, but he was a member of a fraternity in college, and it was uh, Sig- Sigma Phi Epsilon, and so we just called it Sigma Phi Hair Salon. <laughs> Troy's always put together. He always has the right shirts on. He always has the right, and even when he's, even when he's, he's got on his cozies or his grubbies, he still looks put together. And it's not, he's not trying to show off his wealth. He just likes being put together. We had a woman, a deacon years ago, that, that was talking about uh, coming on Sunday mornings, and someone was joking that maybe we should have a day where everyone just comes in their cozies. And she said, no, 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 no. Sunday's the day I like to get my fashion on. And I get it. I, I, I stand differently. I speak differently. I compose myself differently when I'm wearing a suit of clothes than I do when I'm sitting with my red and black plaid joggers at night watching YouTube. I'm just a very, something about how we're dressed. This man was put together. This man had everything that he needed and more. This man had a good family. This man had fellowship. This man thought that he was doing right. And then he's shocked or surprised when he, when he faces judgment and he ends up forever in hell. There's a warning here for every one of us. And he, like we, when he realizes the mistake he's made, for him, it's too late. But even then, he's asking for the very thing that Jesus' friends in his hometown asked for. Give him a sign. Give him a sign. Give him a sign. Send someone back from the dead. Now, little does the, the people that are hearing really understand that, that they have Moses and the prophets, but even if, we send, even if someone comes back from the dead, they're not, if they don't believe them, they're not going to believe that. They didn't all know that Jesus was going to be that man, that he was going to die, go to hell, come back from the dead, and that still people who witnessed that and saw that decided, I don't buy it. And 2,000 years later, people are, that's the thing, that's the hiccup, that's the, that's the stumbling block for people that, yeah, I don't think that's possible. Of course it's not possible. It's a miracle. It's not possible for you, it's not possible for me, but with God, all things are possible. There's a, the, the, this whole idea that, that it's about how, how I behave and, 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 and how it works for me in society, and, and I've got everything, I've got things put together. He was a good Jewish man who ignored the plight of another because you cannot be dirtied by the plight of another. But our salvation is not by our position Our salvation is by grace and grace alone. So what is it that kept this man from heaven? I'm going to offer two things. There's probably more. One, sin. That which separates us from God how often he missed the mark. And it doesn't matter how often he made the mark. 
Sin is sin. A lie is a lie. Theft is theft. It doesn't matter if it's a nickel out of your mother's purse when you were seven or if you rob a bank or embezzle money from your business partner. It does not matter. Theft is theft. Lying is lying. Bearing false witness is bearing false witness. Adultery is adultery. Lust is lust. Sin is sin. But if you have unnoticed sin, unconfessed sin, like this man who, 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 who othered, who pretended, who thingified Lazarus. He knew his name, but he never threw him a scrap from his table. What kept him from the gates of heaven, from the bosom of Abraham? Indifference to the plight of another. His sin kept him from God. And the other thing, I just offer this, doesn't say it here. I'm just trying to, to if, if this were me, what would it be? My plans. I have other things to do. Things are more important to me right now. I'll get to this man later, or I'll, when, I, when, when, when I make this, when I, I'm not in sales, but <clears throat> if I make this next sale, then I'll have some money that I can throw his way. One day when no one else is around, I'll, maybe I'll invite him in and so he can take a bath. Our sin and our plans are, I'll get to it. This isn't about rich or poor. This isn't about abled or disabled. This is about grace through faith and nothing more. So this is the period in the gospel according to Luke where Jesus turns the heat up big time. Two weeks ago, we talked about the, the, the Galileans, right, that, that, uh, that, that Pilate murdered and mixed their blood into their the blood of their sacrifices. And Jesus, they're like, well, they must have sinned all the more. And Jesus is like, you think, you think that, that they're more evil than all the other Galileans? No, you repent. And then the next one, remember the tower, um, the tower at Siloam Falls on, on these people in Jerusalem? And you think that they were more sinful than, than, than all the others so that they suffered this way? And he goes, no, you repent. You repent. It's not about whether you're better than someone else. It is not. And I love you enough to tell you that. Jesus loves us enough to tell us that. And then he tells the story of the two disrespectful sons. One who says, Dad, you're dead to me. And he goes off and squanders everything but comes back humble, confessing, and repenting. And then the other son, who had everything, who is so bold as to say, that son of yours is still dead to me. Why haven't you given me that which you've just given him? God is not in our debt. Jesus, in this time when he's turning and he's starting to go up to Jerusalem, intensifies things. Why? If you knew you were dying, let's say you got a six-month here it is. You've got six months. And somehow you knew that on that, six, that, that last day of that sixth month, you breathe your last. What are you going to say to people? If you have someone in your life that you've wronged, are you not going to seek them out and make it right? What are you going to say to your children or your grandchildren? You're going to tell them the things you believe are the most important thing. If you ever hear anything I have to say, hear me now. That's Jesus. 
He knows that he's in the flesh, walking around, walking, talking, knowing, and loving us. And he knows that he's going to suffer. He knows that he's going to be the man talked about in this story that's going to come back from the dead, and some are going to say, don't buy it. So while he's word made flesh, he wants to make sure that we hear what he has to say. And what does he say to us today? Your sin and your plans and your indifference matter. They matter. And he's saying this to people who don't really want to hear it. What about you? What about me? Do we want to hear what God has to say, even if it's not what we want to hear? Because there is nothing that God says to us in the person of Jesus Christ that isn't out of his love for us. We hear in the scriptures, it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. But if we don't know we have a need for repentance, if he didn't tell us that, then we're doomed. So, folks, there is... We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but there's something going on. God is on the move around the world. And this Asbury thing that you may have heard about a couple of weeks ago, and you think it's over, it's not over, it's spreading. You know that on April 29 at the University of Oklahoma, or Oklahoma University, that there is a rally scheduled in the stadium? Only two other times since that stadium has been built has it been used for something other than football. And the students at that university desperately wanted to have this big rally, this rally of confession and repentance and worship of God. And they went to the, they went to the administration knowing that they're going to say no. And for some reason, they said yeah. So there may be, I don't know, but there may be 65,000 college students gathering together on April 29 at, at OU Stadium to confess, to repent, and to worship. There are 30 different campuses around our country already who this fire has caught. If God is moving, we should be ready. And how is he moving? Every single circumstance that I've heard of, God's beauty, his kindness, his presence shows up and reveals to his people our sin. And out of his loving kindness, he says, confess it. Repent of it. And receive my forgiveness. This rich man who is unnamed knew about the goodness of God, but never laid his head on the bosom of of mercy. Lazarus, who only had bad things, decided that God is worth worshiping, and he spends eternity with him. Where are you? It's not, I'm not pointing a finger, I'm just asking. Because it is your sin, and your plans, and your indifference to the things of God that will keep you from him. And once he returns or once he calls you, once you breathe your last, you don't get a second shot. 
So it's either a transformed heart now or it's a burning tongue then. So, as I pray, I'm simply going to be saying, Father, hear our confessions. And I'll pause for a moment, let you speak into it quietly. I don't know where you're stuck in sin, but you do. And if you don't, ask God, because he knows. Let's pray. Lord, your scripture's clear. No one is good, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. That what we earn from our sin is death and separation from you. But the gift of God in Christ Jesus is everlasting life and the forgiveness of sins. So Lord, we confess. Actually, I'm not going to do it for them. Lord, hear our prayers, hear our hearts, hear our confession, receive our repentance, and offer us forgiveness. It is in the name that is above every name that we pray. Jesus, amen.